recording live from a recording studio right outside Daryl Bevel's house, holding a boombox up. It's the Seahawks Nest Podcast. That would imply we want him back. Yeah, I was going to say, aren't we trying to chase him away? We want the real Daryl Bevel back. <laughs> Is that we holding the boombox up for We've fourth quarter Daryl Bevel? Daryl Bevel? We've got Please Comcast Daryl Bevel right now. Uh, yeah, what about these rumors of Daryl Bevel going to the Rams? I think we have a HD tuner with four channel Bevel. Right wah, now, wah. rabbit ears, Daryl Bubble. Uh, this is the Seahawks Nest. Welcome back. I'm your host, Derek Ronnebeck. With me is Kevin Garber. With me is Nathan Santo. We are here to talk Seahawk football. You've and... got the spirit. Oh, the executive producer. Brett. Oh, I thought you meant the spirit of Christmas. Because uh, happy uh, third got, day of Christmas. He got taken down by the ghost of Christmas future, man. Christmas yet to come. Yeah, they uh, they showed Brett all the terrible things in his past, and he said, "Oh, I, I don't need to write this." And then he showed him all the things going on in the present. And he's like, "Oh, I need to change." And then the ghost of Christmas future came in and said, "You're screwed if you don't change." He's like, "Yeah, I'm not doing it. I lost fantasy football. It's over. It's over." <laughs> <laughs> all right, that is uh, that's that was accurate. Of, uh, being that was accurate. Through our personal lives, there it is. We will return to the podcast. He dragged us through all the emotions of a Brett reaction. <laughs> I loved it, and I got to put in my fantasy victory. Fantasy football victory there. This is what you are missing if you don't show up for our post-game uh, hangout spots if you are not part of Patreon. <laughs> you, too, could be part of this witty banter. Yes. Uh, I. What was Brett like after the Cardinals game this last Sunday? Inconsolable. Because it was Christmas. It made it even worse. Yeah, he was unhappy. But, you know, I saw him the next day, and he seemed like he had recovered nicely. Uh, he quite enjoyed the homemade Chinese food that I put on the plate for Christmas Day. So I think that it all it all ended well for him, even though it got off to a rough start. Well, that is because he faced the reality that what the hell are we going to do with the Seahawks team? Can I summarize this game using just listener questions from Twitter? Yeah, oh, man, please I was do. Say we got some good responses on Twitter. This so week. here are our Twitter responses. Uh, Paul on Twitter says, "Why don't they go to Graham?" Hey, wait, can we use the Twitter handles? So okay, that, let's go ahead and go. So with that. at Land Smackdown, which is Paul, he said, "Find out why they don't go to Graham more often." Went in their red zone and with that awful O line, they gotta fix it. Okay, and then we got Astute Robert, the Oli half fanatic. He says it all starts with Daryl Bevel, inconsistent, wrong playing calling, game management, and not all using all of our offensive weapons. True. And then Rhino Emerson at Rhino underscore Emerson says, Why does the Hawks offense show up only at the end of the third? Who is calling the plays when it actually starts working? <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite one. Uh, I just think that it's so funny uh, that, that he just said, who's calling the plays when it actually starts working? And I'll give you a clue. It's Russell Wilson. Yes. Uh, a lot of times at the end of... When it's the hurry up. A lot of times at the end of a football game when you're in the hurry up offense, uh, your playbook becomes really truncated. You only can pick from these you know, five or six plays. Uh, Russell comes to line. He picks the one that he thinks is the correct play, and then he goes with it. And uh, yeah, when Russell Wilson is calling the plays, Seahawks are very good. Uh, and that's, that is part of the problem for sure is that, uh, we're much better in the hurry up for multiple, multitude of reasons. One, our offensive line can better handle the tired defensive linemen, uh, after, with the pace of the hurry up offense. Uh, the tired defensive linemen have trouble speed rushing on every play. You know, a speed move takes it out of you. And chasing down Russell Wilson requires a lot of energy after said speed rush. Yeah, you get a minute of, of catching your breath after plays when, you know, or close to it. You get 35 seconds, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a big I, difference maker. I uh, I really think that that's a big reason is that the the speed of the game when the game speeds up we get better. The the problem is is 
is not just our offense, though. It's the de- the defense is not the same without Earl Thomas. Yeah, that was on display, and that was the story of the defense in the last game. All right. So, what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with Hawks offense versus Arizona defense? Or I mean, that's what the people want. Or do you, you want know, to start with Hawks defense versus Arizona? That's, offense? People want the offense. I gotta. I'm gonna. When we when it's time to go to defense, I will bridge us there because right. I have some comments. So we're leaning. Right. In, so we're leaning into offense. We're first. leaning into offense. Let's so let's take a look. We have a big game out of Russell Wilson. 29 for 45, 350 yards, four touchdowns. Eight for 17 on third down, which against a defense of this caliber isn't bad. But the problem is, A, Russell Wilson should not be throwing 45 times in a game. Good. B, took six sacks, five of which were in the first half, and the team struggled in the first half. We put up no real offense in the first half. How many of those sacks were on him, would you say, Kevin? Two. Two. There's one where he definitely didn't get rid of the ball fast enough. I, clearly, I know that I one. vividly remember at least. Yeah, one. and I would, I would, I would say, I would say two sounds about right. I would say there was a lot of just not being able to handle the rush on the edge, and it was a lot of edge. I issues. mean, let's be honest. Marcus Golden was had an incredible game against us because you know what he does? He's fast, and those fast outside edge rushers are so good against the Seahawks. Yep. And Clay Campbell got half a sack. He got his because you know he's amazing. Chandler Jones also fast comes up with one and a half sacks you know it's just it's a we we really struggled in this game to control the speedy edge rushers of them and it was something we talked about before the game started you know we said that that was going to be a challenge for the seahawks and that hopefully they'd be able to use the zone read there were two things we said that we could not have happen one was our offense and one was our defense on offense we said we could not have the pass rush kill us and the pass rush killed us. And we'll get to the defensive when we get there. But, but it also came true. I mean, the thing about the offense was I thought it looked de- it looked decent at times. There were stretches of the, of the game where the offense looked really good. Uh, the zone read was working a little. You know, get, yep. Russell had 10 rushes. 10 for 36. Of which, yeah. of which 10 of those rushes, I would say like 8 of them were design plays that to, 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 for him to run the ball. We were back to running the offense the way we used to. Uh, the problem was that the the defense was ready for it, and they they made they made some really good defensive plays on the zone read plays where Russell went to hand the ball off, and he was left with no choice really because the not only was the running back covered, but he was covered like they were they were well scouted ahead of time. They had it for, read for the zone for the zone read, and they have the athletes to do that too. Which I mean, and the thing about that is too is if like you have a guy like like Rodney Gunter on the outside, or you have Marcus Golden and. You ask them, hey, you know, you're going to make this read, and I want you to just stick in a spot where you have a chance to affect the play no matter what and use your athleticism to catch up if it doesn't work out. And a lot of guys couldn't handle that responsibility, but Arizona has the, has the, you know, the dogs or whatever, however you want to put it. They have the guys that can actually pull that off. Yeah, they have a top defense. I mean, that didn't go away. Yeah. Patrick Peterson's still overrated. Let's just throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. That's Baldwin, 13 catches on 19 targets for 171. Ridiculous. 13, he wow. had a ridiculous game. And 19 targets, ridiculous. That's yeah. throwing 45 times will do that. What about Jimmy Graham? J- Jimmy Two Graham. catches on three targets. I don't understand why why we pay a guy $10 million. To, it's like the to not use him. To not use him. He's just he's out there. He's on the field. He he stay. The thing is, on yeah. so many Paul, plays. Paul, you are right. Watch the watch the if you watch the uh, the tape on so many plays, he stays in to chip, and then after he chips, he, it's too late. Like he. <laughs> there's there's not time for him to get into any kind of route because the speed he, rush is too much. He, he's their speed rush that came off the opposite side of the field is already in in Russell's face. So it's it sucks. You know it sucks that J- Jimmy Graham is so underutilized, and part of it's because he has to block. Yeah, 
And that's not, it's not optimal usage of Jimmy Graham. I'd and you know what I'm seeing a lot less of? And him maybe split out can, wide? Uh, I'm seeing less of him <laughs> split out wide, but I'm also seeing a lot of less uh, compensation for the poor offensive line via the boot action. I felt like last year that was a lot of what the team tried to do was get Russell Wilson moving out of the pocket. And I feel like he got injured well, early in the year, and they just yanked all that out of the playbook. No, is that because? Put it back in. And I think too, running back blocking, running back blocking has been a serious letdown. Like we, yes, it's not what it was. Uh, I I don't know what like the last couple seasons. So I just don't trust our running backs to to help. On in coverage, I don't think Russell does either. Rawls is okay, yeah, okay, but is everyone like else generous. is young. And Collins is just—I I don't know. Collins might be the best running back on the roster right now in terms of effectiveness, but there are so many little things that he just does not do well. Well, blocking. and they say blocking in the backfield is the thing that a college running back takes the longest to learn in the NFL. That's why because Ezekiel, that's why the scheme you has to do the least. That's why Ezekiel Elliott was so hyped is because I mean his college tape is just him blowing guys up in blocks all yeah. the time and so you you say like he's a complete back you say like oh ezekiel elliott like why did he have so much hype well he could play all three downs as a rookie and a lot of rookie running backs like kevin said can't pull that off because they just don't block good enough yeah look at cj pro size for as much Ugh. of a plus as he is on third down the guy can't block yeah he was awful. if he gets a little chip in you're pretty happy about that and towards the end he was getting that he get that little chip but I mean, it was but it was almost still better not to, much. to run him out there on a circle route on every play and just hope that someone gets sucked into following him and gets taken out of the play. Like, yeah, that was how he blocked. That's that's like that's he was a subtraction one block. for one. Yeah, uh, it's, I guess. What about Thomas Rawls left early in the game, shoulder injury? Uh, are we are we are we at the point with Thomas Rawls where his, his the job is not his? 100%. His running is complete. His running style is, is so out of control. And I, uh, in some ways, that's great because it reminds me of Marshawn Lynch, you know, like the running stuff. But Marshawn Lynch, there was something focused about his power. And I just think that Rawls, there's something just unfocused about the way he runs. I think we're getting Buffalo Marshawn Lynch, which we never had here. Yeah, it's just he's not. He doesn't run he's smart. Young. He's early. Yeah, he doesn't run smart all the time. And if the first read, because he's he's kind of makes one read and then just goes with that. Yeah, one cut and go back. And and our blocking is not enough. And to our make blocking that is not good enough. You need to have like you need to see multiple ways out of a play. And I mean the thing about Rawls is he's such a strong one cut runner. He makes that one cut and sometimes he hits that hole. And you're like, I don't see many guys in the NFL that can do that. You yeah. know, like he's just yeah. he's that special when, when he hits it right. And he but doesn't he, make terrible reads on the first cut. Yeah. It's just like it's not when like he, uh Kristen Michael where Kristen Michael ran wherever the run was designed to go. Yeah. You know, Rawls can at least audible in his run if he sees a lane. Yeah. It's just once he audibles, like you said, it's like he pitches his whole body in that direction. And, and like, if that lane closes, watch, he's screwed. The, watch the way he runs too with his arms and stuff. Like He's very flying, excitable. Man. It's like it's like a it's very a, a, it's a violent running style. Yes. I don't know any other way to put it. Uh, I I think it's going to lead to him getting banged up all the time. I don't I don't see any other way about it. I think Thomas Rawls being injured is part of the package. Yep. It's the way Sad. he runs. It's not just it's not just the thing. It's the fact that his body is so out of control when he runs and is out there. And so when he gets hit, it it's out of control. Like he's not going to going to take like a nice clean fall like the way Russell does. Russell, you know, the thing is, he avoids taking a really bad hit because he's so in control of his body. Yeah, Russell played baseball, so he knows how to slide. (laughs) (laughs) I think Thomas Rawls is the opposite of that, though. You know, he's so out of control in his body. It's so violent that if he's going to get dinged up, 
you know, it's going to happen. And I hope he get, I hope he gets healthy and I hope he figures it out cuz like I said he's a special player when he's really when he's really firing on all cylinders. But that's not right now and it's not behind this offensive line. And it's not consistent. You know who did step up? Doug Baldwin? Well, or, Doug Baldwin always steps up. Doug Baldwin was so good in this game. I love Doug Baldwin. Uh, you can do no wrong in my book. He's earned every penny of that new contract. He's earned more than that. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Lockett went down oh, with a vicious okay. injury, and it was sad to see him. You know, it was gruesome. For those of you that are squeamish, don't watch the replay. Yeah. It's, and it's Ladies like, it's, it's those injuries. It's the same injury Earl had. So, you know, they're now rehab bros because Earl Thomas is coming back. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about this in the defense yes. portion. But, uh, he's coming back. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it sucks. And the thing about Lockett was since he got fully healthy, I would say he's been our most effective offensive skill position player, even more than Baldwin, who has he's been great. He's the best compliment you could ask for for Baldwin, though. Oh, yeah. Because you have to respect Lockett and Baldwin just feeds on when a defense I mean, goes away from him. Exactly. Like, Baldwin's the kind of guy who will beat you with his hips. He's one-on-one against you. He turns his hips perfectly into the route, and then now he's he's just got he's got half a step on you, or the play's starting to break down, and he finds that open space in the zone. You know, Baldwin beats you because he's, he's so smart and so skilled. Lockett, he's that, but he's also just incredibly fast. Yeah. Well, and his speed, it's he's got intelligent speed because it's not just like, I'm going to turn on the afterburners now. He knows when a guy can keep pace and he knows when to put in that extra and it's, extra mile. You and know? it's yeah. like that sneaky, It's a, you're right, it's the sneaky speed like the Richard Sherman used to have. And maybe we could talk about that on the defensive side. But where all of a sudden out of nowhere, he's moving a lot faster than you yeah. think he could. Be. And it's closing in on where the ball's going to be. You know, it's a comparison a lot of people won't like, but kind of with uh, Odell Beckham Jr., sometimes you'll see him... Uh, kind of lays into the cut and then explode out. And that's what you see with Lockett. And it's devastating in a similar way where you'll see him, like maybe it's a post route and you'll see him running at like three quarters speed up to the break. And then he hits it. And depending on which way the corner throws his hips, you'll see him just turn on the burners and he'll turn like a half a step advantage into a step and a half. Uh, it reminds me of Steve Smith senior, to be honest. That's a great comparison. Uh, like I, I I think that Lockett, if he can get healthy, get right, and get back to you know continuing to be to on the trajectory he's on, he's gonna be like a Steve Smith Senior type, where he's he's fast, he's shifty, but he's also talented. Uh, he might not ever be the best wide receiver in the NFL because he's not tall enough. The guys that are become the best are they're so huge. Yeah, they're Leo six Jones, foot and AJ over, Green, and he's just not Odell Beckham. Those guys are all like six foot four. Yeah, they're monsters. Six foot five, like they're all huge. Uh, you know, the guy who's, the guy who he could, the best version he could be is Antonio Brown. That's the best six foot wide receiver possible. That's a pretty and good. I, I just think that, that that's a pretty hard uh, goal to meet because no one. I don't think he's that physical of a player. No one runs roots with such precision and just strength that Brown does. It's just, it's yeah, a Brown's joy. like a running back. It's a joy to who watch. went out and but figured you know out how to what? be the best at route running. We have our own like light Antonio Brown. That's Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin. Mm-hmm. He's a similar style player. It's just. You know, he's not quite as good, but he's he's right there. But what I was gonna say was that Paul Richardson really stepped up. Yeah, I Richardson. wanted to ask Four about catches Paul on five targets, forty-two yards, got a touchdown. He did that uh, on that five-yard run. Well. That was good. I quite I quite enjoy Paul Richardson, and I really hope that he uh, is finds a good place in this offense without yeah. getting hurt. Now, before this might t- be a sneaky best game. Well, before Tyler Lockett, there was Paul Richardson, and Paul Richardson uh, broke a lot of records at Colorado. And, and then broke a lot of his legs. Yeah, well, he... And he had a really good... The end of his rookie year, he really came 
came on. Yeah. Like, it looked well, like he's really slight, right? He's the problem with Paul Richardson is that he's just he's he's tiny. Per- Percy Harvin had the same knock against him, and look what happened to him. Paul Richardson now I don't know. Is this? It's obviously it's time to step up, but. Can he be what we want him to be, what we originally thought he would be? Why we drafted Tyler Lockett? Like, we drafted Tyler Lockett to be that guy that Paul Richardson we'd hoped he would be. That's how it felt when we drafted him. Can Paul Richardson step up into this role now? And that's, that's a realistic question. Is it possible? Paul Richardson with a few years in an NFL weight training program is a much different player. I think we'll find that out uh, at the end of this year and going into next. Because an offense that can rotate Richardson in between Lockett and Baldwin and have two of those three players on the field with fresh legs at any point in time, that is not something a defense wants to deal with. That's like having three really good pass rushers. You know, that's a, that's a challenge for a defense. Can he fit into the two, three mold this year? Assuming Graham is two or three or just a guy that we don't throw the ball to. I think that, uh, I think Richardson's a better option than we've had aside from Lockett across from Baldwin. I'm gonna, and, you know, I'm going to continue this campaign though that I've been starting, Kevin. Well, Jimmy quick, Graham should be our number two wide receiver. There's, yeah, we should be playing a different tight end. Luke Wilson, uh, Nick Finette, Williams, it's someone should be playing inside tight end. And Jimmy Graham should be the second wide receiver in our two wide receiver sets. There's no reason that shouldn't be happening. Yeah. I mean, this, it just blows my mind. It, sh- it should have been happening before Tyler Lockett got hurt. Now that Tyler Lockett got hurt, it just seems like a no brainer. Curse got nine targets. When Curse gets Stupid. nine targets and Graham gets three targets, that's a flaw. Something is yeah. wrong. I don't care what... <laughs> We're system. scheming to get Curse open. You shouldn't be scheming to get Curse I mean, open. If Curse gets nine targets, that means that he was he had to have been the first or second read on a lot of plays. Yeah. He got four catches on nine targets, too, which he's shown himself to be this season our lowest efficiency receiver. Oh, and Jermaine Curse has stepped up. Jermaine Curse has done good things for this football team. Unfortunately, uh, my friend Michelle says that She's been listening to us all year, and she's kind of on the curse hate train. Uh, and new, uh, new, new, excellent per- human yes. being patron supporter, Michelle. Thank, thank you, thank, thank, thank you for that, Nathan. Yeah, but it's I don't friend mean of the to podcast. friend of the podcast, Michelle. I I just feel like Jermaine Curse can step up, and he's not a terrible human being. He's not a terrible football player. It, part of it is you know running him out for those wide receiver screens that are terrible. Well, I beg to differ. He's the local boy done well. Oh, I agree with that. He's. Uh, he's everything that you like in a story, but we're not some six and ten team that can run out the good story. We did re-sign him though. Yeah, we had the chance to drop him. Especially another reason why I don't like Jermaine Curse is in the off season, like almost a year ago, he came out and he said, "See you, Seattle. It's been fun. I'm not. I'm not playing here again." Blah, no home blah, blah. team discount. Yeah, no home team discount. But he also said, "I don't. I'm not playing for this team." And it was like, "Wow, that's weird." And then he resigned, probably because the grass was not greener, meaning there was no more money for him anywhere Just else. Just the Browns. <laughs> yeah. Five million a year. So it, I feel like Jermaine Curse, unfortunately, is probably going to be getting more snap counts now. And I feel like this is his time to shine. And he's done it for us before. He's done it for us in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. The the play that I actually never saw in real time because I turned away. It was that long pass to Curse, which he wound up catching. He fell all over the ground. Held it in his feet, in his knees, somehow got yeah. it. I never saw that in real time. He got just, his moment. I could not watch the television. Um, remember, uh, the goal line, though, he did cost us that Super Bowl. So, unfortunately, more Jermaine Curse is probably in our future. It seems that way with the way the offense is being run. 
and that's and with no Tyler Lockett, yeah. Nathan, uh, anything I, you want? I, I think you got. I disagree. Ooh. By the way, I just want to throw this out there. I think that Jermaine Curse will not be a bigger part of our offense. I do think at this point in the season, they have to have been looking at what's happened, and they have to know that Jermaine Curse has been targeted 82 times and only has 39 catches. Oh. There's no way that they don't know that. And if that's true, if that's the case, 47%. there's no way that they're going to continue to give him that many targets. I mean, that catch rate is so bad. I bet you... I'm going to I'm going to do a little research right now. I'm going to bet you that that was probably one of the lowest catch percentages in the NFL among anyone with at least 80 targets. Okay, and I'll go ahead and fill for you while you're doing yeah, that. I'm, so it might take me a minute to find it. The but. thing with Jermaine Curse is not only is he low efficiency, he's low efficiency in a high efficiency offense. If you look at the numbers, just take last game again, Graham 2 out of 3. Uh uh, Richardson caught four out of five. Lockett was consistent before his injury. Uh, Baldwin caught 13 out of 19. So he had, uh, six misses on 19 targets. Curse had one less miss on half as many targets. <laughs> That's really where it is. Like, you expect a receiver getting that many targets to be catching at least 60% of those balls. All right. You guys ready? Wide receivers with more than 80 targets and less in a worse catch percentage than Jermaine Curse. That is one NFL player, Brandon Marshall. He is 46.1%. And don't forget, instead of Russell Wilson throwing to Brandon Marshall, he's got whatever Question the Jets mark. have. Yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick, <laughs> Geno uh, Smith. It's not good. And then the next, Bryce Petty. the next guy with 80 is Tajay Sharp at 50.6%. So, uh, and then DeAndre Hopkins at 50.7 with the, uh, the immortal Brock Osweiler. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Jermaine Curse is operating at a, a very suboptimal level here. One, what you, you're explaining some some receivers with bad quarterbacks like DeAndre Hopkins. Tajay Sharp is a rookie. Is this true? He's a rookie, and he had Mariota throwing to him. Mariota had some accuracy issues at the beginning yeah, of the year. Yeah, Mariota is up and down this year. Also, I'll give that to a rookie. Very Jermaine improved. Curse is not a rookie. He's a six-year player, uh, and that's just off the top of my head. Uh, Russell um, Wilson completes 65% of his passes. So that means he's 17% worse than normal when he throws to Jermaine Kearse. That's terrible. So basically, if he was throwing to an average receiver, he would be like 67% we consider the number of targets there. Back on the Jermaine Kearse hate train. 10 to 15 more completions in a season. I I like him as a person. He's he's a local guy. He's from Lakewood. Uh, I don't mind having him around. We're paying him way too much money. We're not going to be able to cut him next year and save any money. I already looked. So I'm, we're stuck with him. So, but, and I, I'm fine with that, you know, but he should be the fifth option in our offense. Yeah. Sixth option. He should be way down on the choices of guys to throw to. I'd rather throw to Tanner McAvoy a bunch of times than Jermaine Curse. I, I like point. Tanner McAvoy. I mean, McAvoy fills somewhat of a similar role as just a big body receiver. Give me, give me more Luke Wilson. Like, I'm not, give me more Marcel Reese. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Give me more care. Luke Wilson. Yeah, give me more Luke Wilson. I need a reliable receiver. Like, I mean, Luke Wilson's catch rate this season is, uh, let's see. He's got three balls on five targets. He's caught 12 balls on 18, 67%. Oh my goodness. When you're, when you're below the double L Wilson line, that's not a good place to be. Luke Wilson, other than, as long as the volume stays low, he does fine. It's the one season he got 40 (laughs) targets where he was really bad. You know, if you can teach (laughs) Luke Wilson to block, we might have a tight end there. Uh, all right, let's switch to the defensive side of the football. Uh, it's funny, last week before we started... By the way, wait, wait, Marcel Reese, though. 
can I just go get a little plug in here? Yeah, and let's talk about the O line real quick like, too. I really oh, like I really like Marcel Reese. I didn't want to talk O line. I too. want him to be more involved with the offense. Even after his fumble, the more he gets integrated, the the better. We didn't fumble in this game. Did he, was that he also didn't Collins? get a target or a, or a rush. <laughs> uh, the fumble was Russell Wilson. I mean, it was a weird. Play. Oh yeah, it was. Oh, it, that's right. It was like a it was like a read option where the didn't it didn't go. There's a lot of optioning and not a lot of there reading. Was, there was too they waited too long to decide like. Those play, you got to make a decision quick on a read option, which is why Russell's so great at it. But he just waited too long to make the decision. The running back wasn't ready for the ball anymore. He kind of already moved on from that point in his life. <laughs> so, you know, it happens. Ball was there. No one was home. Yeah, Marcel Reese has had uh, success in Oakland. He was a, a big, bruising fullback. Uh, also a great pass catcher. Because yeah, like, he's a converted wide receiver. It's a unique talent set. It doesn't ex- A guy who can block really well, catch really well. Like and as a fine rusher, he actually filled in um, at running back back in the Run DMC era when he would get injured a lot. I want to say that he had a hundred yard game or two as a running back. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see him get more integrated in our offense. He's a unique talent. He also went to U- the UW. You know, that played alongside Jermaine uh, Curse. They were both wide receivers. At the Thomas same time. Rawls playing. Uh, you know, or not playing and and being sporadic. I think we will see more Marcel Reese. Hit your offensive line points because I did not want to talk O line. So our our ends are bad. Really quickly, it's the same thing. Uh, offensive tackles cannot handle any kind of speed rush. Interior of the lines looking all right. And I just wanted to say to address our uh, Twitter questionnaire. I'm gonna go ahead and pilot that. Term. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, Nathan and I had a, an in-depth talk about the offensive line, and we have, I think we're probably going to be dedicating basically an entire show to that in the offseason. So look forward to us talking about um, options in free agency. We're going to talk about free agency options, and we're going to talk about uh, draft options to fix that offensive line, because by the, by the that's way, a glaring issue. Uh, Marcel Reese has two 100-yard rushing games in his career, one in 2012 and one in 2013. Oh, okay. There you go. They're both really good. I mean, he had five yards per carry and six yards per carry. It wasn't just a volume thing either. Uh, they're officially listing him as a tight end on the depth chart. I don't know if you know Sure, that. that's a thing. But Weird. I mean, I don't know what position to put him at. He's an H-back. He can run the ball. It's He's like, like Chris, Chris Cooley. Cooley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is like Chris Cooley. But his career rushing average is 4.6 yards a rush. It's not like... This guy's no joke. Um, He's an athlete. How old is he? Uh, 30? He's 31. Okay. Uh, but, uh, and I'm, so, I mean, he's going to be on the downside maybe, but there's not a lot of wear and tear here either. Uh, yeah, I think this is really like very much a real Rob type signing. He he returned kicks a couple times, but I mean, in this era, you return kicks, you take a knee most of the time. It's not- hey, we could use a guy like that all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Because it didn't go that well. We asked someone else to take a knee last year. He's a three-time Pro Bowler. I mean, I don't know. He just he seems he's a very like, complete complimentary player. He seems legit to me. Like I'm really excited that he's on our team. To be honest with you, because he's I've always felt like he has a really unique talent set. And if you can creatively use guys, and I don't know, maybe we're not the right team to do that right now with our offensive line woes. But And our coordinator woes. But, uh, you know, okay, let's talk about the offensive coordinator because we never, we never <laughs> really dug into it. I, have, I get the feeling that Bevel with this offensive line just feels so hamstrung by what he can possibly do. And he's trying stuff to just get something going. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, he's just, he's got to be pulling his hair out because there's no, it's just no time. 
There's no time ever. So then to, what was the reason last year and the year before? Like, play calling has been a big issue for last year, our a offense few was years. Really good. Yeah, but also our like offense. If you look at our efficiency numbers from the last two years, our offense is actually pretty. But legit. what was our storyline the last two years? We talked about it constantly. Offensive the play calling is kind of bad, and then Marshawn Lynch or Russell Wilson does something magical, and then points happen. And it can't get better until the third or fourth quarter. Like, like we're first half, we cannot do anything. I mean, on offense. Last we year, haven't had consistently good play calling in a season. In several years, last year our offensive DVOA was first, though. Like I, I don't know. Like I feel, I feel like the team is it's efficient and good, but it's it's like the at the end of the day, like the the lack of talent on the offensive line always lets us down. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it, and yeah. It, it's it a kind of, glaring weakness. And I think that it get, the play calling gets a lot of crap, but it's really not the, the you can't play call to fix a terrible offensive line if there's pressure on every play. If every play you call gets blown up because a defensive tackle makes an awesome can make it can make an awesome play. I'm putting it in scare quotes though because like how awesome is it really when you just blow by a guy who hasn't played NFL or hasn't played football since middle school? You know like how awesome are you really? Like not that awesome. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. Like I I just think that on some level like you can it's it's easy to blame the play calling, but it's I think that the the blame should sort squarely be on the shoulders of Tom Cable, in my opinion. You're talking numbers, and I appreciate that. I like numbers. And you bring up uh, DVOA from last year on offense, and I respect that. But, the you know, we talked about it. We sat in this room last year and talked about it, about the deficiencies in play calling, about how it was the two-minute drill going into the half. It was about we couldn't score points until we came out of the locker room in the third quarter. We talked about the vanilla offense being run. It's been the same thing for a long time. So maybe but, but maybe the, you're right. The offensive maybe, line has been bad for a long time, too. Maybe to an extent. Bevel's not the worst offensive play caller, but maybe we're at that point where we need someone else. Like how we talk about with other teams, they need to move on from a coach because they've gotten where they can with them. I think we need someone else. I would rather see Bevel with a real offensive line than than someone else with this garbage offensive line. Does that make sense? But I don't think that's the choice that needs to be made. But I mean, I feel like it's not. It's not a. It's not a door number one, door number two situation. If that. I mean, it, it, like I picked door number three, fresh offensive coordinator and better offensive line. But I mean, I kind of want to see what Bevel could do with the real offensive line. Cause I'm, I saw it three cause, years ago. Well, that when our DV, when our offense was seventh in the league, like I, I don't know, like our offense has been has gone through stretches where it's been very good, and no one complains when it's good, and no one rem- no one seems to remember when it was good either. They seem to only think about the times when our offense was. Hot garbage. I think our offense is only good when our play callers or when our playmakers carry us. Let's be honest. Our play calling doesn't do it. Even in this last game, our offense was pretty good. We scored 31 points against a very good defense. Yes, I agree. Our point totals were good, but I think it was more, again, I think it's more about our offense does well when our playmakers do well. I think we don't scheme to them that well. I I think the evidence for that can be had with Jimmy Graham. I think that. Number one, I number seven Jimmy on Graham defense. Is being misused this Absolutely, season. and I, I think there's some. Well, I think the only reason you can't use Russell Wilson is because he touches the ball by de facto. <laughs> well, I think both of you are making va- both valid points. Like, I want to see what Daryl Bevel can do with a good offensive line. Remember when we had Percy Harvin and he was injured? It was like, man, imagine what we can do with Percy Harvin. We got it for one game, the Super Bowl, and it worked out. And I think that worked out because Denver was so stiff on defense, which they still are. Tyreek Hill proved that, but. With Kevin, what you're saying is... Oh, come on. Don't beat that point into the ground. 
Oh, sorry, I couldn't much. help it. I just too hate much. Tyreek Hill. Never forget that guy is scum. He will always. He needs to like go on a full on apology tour like it's ten third more degree times burn. before yeah. I'll feel good about that that story. Anyway, but as Kevin yeah. said, like Daryl Bevel, uh, it'd be nice to see a new face in here. However, when you do an offensive coordinator, then you have to change the playbooks. There's a huge change, and rare, very rarely, and I'm thinking about Pittsburgh, does that just sweetly get to get adopted with no problem? And it still took Pittsburgh like nine games before Roethlisberger was okay with having Todd Haley. So I think. There's there's the double edged sword. Well, there. Todd Haley's kind of a douche. Let's let's put that he, on there. That he may but be. Once it worked, it really, once really it worked, worked. exactly. Yes. <laughs> but I'm saying that could have been a personality thing there to an extent. Yeah, we, we're talking about two kind of not that likable people. And Haley. <laughs> uh, let's. I do want to go to defense. We gotta. We yeah, gotta go move ahead on. and run it. Let's, um, before let's do this. <laughs> before the podcast last week, I was like Kevin, you got to hear this audio of Richard Sherman's press conference, and I made you listen to the whole thing, and then I didn't even bring it up. So I'll just hit on it briefly. And that was, you know, Richard Sherman called out the offensive play calling in the last game. And where I'm going with this is you can go over the defensive numbers. I'm a little pissed off at Richard Sherman because you want to call out the offense one week and then the offense comes to play and you didn't. And when I say you, I mean the defense as a whole did not do their job on that last drive. It reminded me of the Atlanta playoff game from 2012. It was, uh, it was really hard to watch. Um, I, I spent my time getting angry that Hauschka missed the extra point, and then I realized, oh, it wouldn't matter anyway because we let them score no problem. Uh, what do you want to go into on defense? Tell me that Sherman's right. awesome and that, I, that I'm completely Some wrong. Right, so might. what if I told you that uh, the other team's starting quarterback was 15 for 25 for 204 yards and no touchdowns? That would be what Carson would Palmer. That sounds like Carson Palmer to me. What would you think about that? Would you think that was a pretty... I'd Good say game, that's, pretty I'd bad say game. It's a pretty. I'd say that's a decent hey, job against the quarterback. Okay, well that well that was that was Carson Palmer's game. If you take out the eighty yard pass to JJ Nelson, okay. Which, but by the way, that JJ Nelson play is such a big failure on the part of the Seahawks defense. I it cannot, absolutely is. I cannot handle it. I mean, the okay. So if you subscribe Patreon, you probably saw a video about me explaining why Earl Thomas is so great for offense with pictures. I'm going to try to do it with just words here, but. Earl Thomas, on, if, on that exact play, if Earl Thomas is there, he reads the quarterback way better than uh, Terrell. And he gets, and even if he does make the same exact read, he's going to make it to J.J. Nelson on that play. Okay, His closing he, speed is there's, insanity. There's, his closing speed is nuts. He co- We play cover three, and the way to beat cover three is to run four verticals. Okay, You just run four guys in kind of straight line straight up the field. And the J.J. Nelson, that's what he's good at. He's good at running in a straight line. He has hands of stone. That's all he does. He's... Well. he's God, he's not a great route runner, but you know what? He is fast. I'll give him that. He is a fast human being, man. In football pads, there may be few in the NFL faster. And so I look at that and I think, okay, well, how do we make sure to beat this guy? Well, you know, your safety's got to make sure that he keeps the top on the defense. They blew the top off the defense on that play. And it's, it's a failure by the, by Lane. Lane did not, did not, uh, cover him very well, but JJ Nelson's fast and there should be help over the top. So it's a failure on Terrell too. And I was the yeah. worst play. I was the worst, one of the worst defensive breakdowns yeah. that the Seahawks have had all year. Well, and it's going to sound kind of stupid, but in a game where the team made 61 tackles, Stephen Terrell made three. And that doesn't sound like a big thing. Normally, your safeties, you don't want your safeties making a lot of tackles because that means they're active in the run game, which means that the runners are getting to the second and third level. But... 
Earl Thomas made a lot of tackles and a lot of pass breakups. He is a very active part of our defense. And his ability to read and close fast shaped the way the middle of our defense could play. In a lot of ways, you know, I think there's not another player on our defense that losing that player affects the way our defense functions as much. Another thing about our the way our defense works is that we our defense likes to put ten guys within five yards of the line of scrimmage, uh, off the off the off the from the beginning of the play. Uh, Cam Chancellor is awesome in the situation. He stuffs the run. He's physical with those big bigger tight ends or bigger wide receivers or the slot wide receivers. You know whoever he ends up landing with, he's physical against them. He may, he affects the play from from that close. And the only reason it works is because the safety in the middle has to be like. Um, psychic almost. Yeah, he's know? the glue man for he the defense. He has to Intuitive. read what the quarterback's doing. He has to figure out the play, and he has to almost have like a premonition about what's happening and find find the guy. And you know what? I like Steven Terrell, but he does not do a good job of that. And Lane had a bad game, and it was exasper- exacerbated exacerbated by the fact that Earl Thomas wasn't back there to to babysit him. Yeah, to be honest, like. Normally, we could say, you know what, Earl's going to babysit that, and it's not going to be a big deal. In this game, Shed was beatable. Sherman was ho-hum. I, will, I won't say he had a bad game. He did get beat a couple times, including that out, one, an outside route by J.J. Nelson, which made me so angry. Yeah. Um, yes. Very un-Sherman-esque. But, but, I mean, he was he was fine. But if you look outside of J.J. Nelson, their receiving court did not have right. a great day. And, and Larry Fitzgerald got shut down. And, and I know that Sherman was over Fitzgerald a lot in this game. Yeah. And he had zero catches for and zero targets. So I know for a fact Sherman did fine. He didn't have a great game. He didn't have a bad game. He just had a game. Yeah, Fitzgerald had, if he four, had four catches on four targets for 31 yards. That is a nothing he's, game. He's basically a none. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a league average game for a tight end. Uh, so, and I mean, Brit, the other guys, Britton Golden, John Brown, Kerwin Williams, Duran Gresham, all did nothing. So, you know, Shed was probably fine. I mean, Lane got beat hard, and Lane got Terrell, beat hard and had a bad game. Like, there's no two ways about it. And this is what I was referring to earlier. The other thing I said that you could not have was JJ Nelson's speed beating us, and JJ Nelson's speed beat us. And I mean, yeah. I say this with conviction. I still believe this. JJ Nelson might be like the worst wide receiver skills guy in the whole NFL. He has like one skill, and it's just run fast. So you know what's coming. It's like a video game skill. He's it's, like slightly worse Ted Ginn. It's like I don't understand how you just you don't. That's a bad player. No, Ted Ted Ginn can find spots and he can move around. JJ Nelson is just that's go, the part that's go. worse. You know what's coming with JJ Nelson? He's fast. That's it. He it's, can run like three routes, but he can't sell any of them. Three receptions. So it's really like: is he doing a post? Is he doing uh, like an out? Or is he doing a go? And he can't really do a stutter go because he's a straight line speed guy. And so... I mean, he ran a 4-2-8-40 at the combine. Lane just couldn't catch up with him. Here's how you know, J.J. Nelson, what I'm saying is serious. Okay, He ran a 4-2-8-40 at the combine. The second fast 40 ever. 0.04 seconds behind CJ2K. Okay? That's very fast. He's a he is a bad man in terms of running in a straight line. Yeah, he, he still got drafted in the fifth round. Yes, <laughs> like like this guy. It, they, by comparison, know, okay. By comparison, Will Fuller, the wide receiver out of Notre Dame, who got drafted by the Houston Texans in this this most recent NFL draft, he ran, I believe it was a four three one, 
clocked 40 at the combine and it moved him from the middle of the second round to a top 25 pick. Right, because the skills were there. Because he showed that he was as fast in pads as he was on the field. He was a productive wide receiver at Notre Dame. J.J. Nelson was not an exceptionally productive player in college. He was not an exceptionally skillful player. And just like Nathan said, basically what it said is, oh, he has speed. That's a draftable commodity. And if you're drafted in the fifth round, that is the epitome of, well, he was draftable. Well, hats off to Bruce Arians for for finding that and using it against us. Right. I mean, another thing, too, is that uh, when we got pressure, we were good. Like When we got pressure, we were good. 10, 10 dropbacks out of the 27, uh, we got pressure. And Carson Palmer was 4 for 9 with a sack, 71.5 NFL rating. With no pressure, he went 12 for 17. And here's the thing. we I always talk about this. you got to get pressure without blitzing because good quarterbacks can pick blitzes apart. Well, when, when he was blitzed, he went 5 for 10 for 119 and a touchdown, 126.7. I mean, we... I'm sure we got pressures on some of those blitzes. I remember specifically one where Bobby Wagner got home and it was a really good play. But blitzing is inherently risky because you're putting all your secondary players out on an island. But again, that 80-yard play is included. If you pull that 80-yard play, it's what, 4 for 9 for 30-something yards? But that 80-yard play is exactly the kind of play I'm talking about. That you get on a home run that Earl Thomas prevents and that we can't prevent right now. Right. If If you blitz it, like you're 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 really putting yourself out there. Well, even if if a big home run play like that doesn't happen, there was a there's a blitz in the third quarter where I think it just went for like an eight yard gain. But seeing Bobby Wagner coming and every one of our guys on the blitz was picked up, I was like, oh, who's gonna catch the ball? Because you could tell that mm-hmm. you know we weren't we'd sent the extra guys, they were all picked up, and now you just have a big mash of players up front. While Carson Palmer's like, hmm, who am I throwing it to? Yeah. So it's. Man, this game was frustrating. Yeah, Still is. Bennett played good, though. Sack, one sack, one hit, three hurries. Seems like Black Santa's back. I would say he was the best player on our defense. Well, he's got to deliver around Christmas time. Uh, Jaron Reed had a solid game. Both. I'm K- still liking how Jaron Reed's playing. KJ, KJ and Bobby both looked great. Uh, I don't know what KJ Wright needs to do to get on a Pro Bowl. Uh, I know 4-3 outside linebackers are really undervalued in the NFL. Uh, and for good reason. I mean, they are somewhat of a fungible asset. But KJ Wright is the gold standard of a 4-3 outside linebacker who doesn't rush the passer. So I don't know what do we need to do. I think we need to get some naked pictures of Pro Bowl voters or something to hold for blackmail to help KJ out because, KJ, you're the man. Yeah, and, uh, you deserve you it. Deserve, you are the gold standard for outside linebacker 4-3. Uh, That's the other thing guy. is uh, I do want to give credit to the defense for, you know, people look and go, oh, 95 yards rushing on 28 carries. David Johnson had to carry the ball 28 times to get that 95 yards. Yeah, he did not have It was not an efficient running day. He did not have an efficient running day, although he did punch in three touchdowns, which is kind of a... Uh, I, th- I feel like That's a sticking Seahawks, point. I feel like Se- Seahawks kind of pride themselves on not letting guys just punch in rushing touchdowns against them, and it, that was not the case in this game. And it didn't take him multiple times. He would just go in and get it. Yeah. Uh, what about his receiving numbers? Uh, his David receiving number were I was uh, for David jo- for Johnson. It was not a great day. He was four uh, four catches on seven targets for yeah, forty one yards. And, and twenty. And he had one, one big catch. He had one big catch against Cam. And I, I I thought it was like the only play Cam made a mistake in the whole game. He just got late. He got, he got aggressive got late, and then he, David Johnson got a lot of yards on that play. He overplayed. It'll it happen little. every once in a while. It, Cam's an aggressive football player. You're going to you're not going to hit on every play. Yeah, yeah. I was I was pretty happy with that. That was really what I was worried about. I thought we'd stop David Johnson in the run. We'd let him catch a lot of balls. 
uh, even though we're good at that. And but I don't want to go back to offense, but I just didn't get to talk enough about Calais Campbell. <laughs> so, and he's he's one. Of, I feel like he's one of the most undervalued players in the NFL. So I just got to do one more time. Okay, Calais Campbell got three run stops in the backfield. He had a sack, a half a sack. He had three rush, three pass uh, hurries, and two quarterback hits. Uh, that isn't an incredible line from a from a three four defensive end. Uh, I cannot stress this enough. That guy is awesome, and I'm not surprised that we struggled to contain him. He's outside of JJ Watt. If no, there's no other three four defensive ends that really even, I feel like he's the only one that can even be in JJ Watt's neighborhood in a shack made of cardboard because <laughs> that's how good JJ Watt is. But but uh yeah, he's he's awesome. He's a really good football player. And I'm not surprised that he was such a big factor in why we lost. Yeah, JJ Watt's real good. No, no, <laughs> JJ Watt, jump, JJ Watt jumping around on the sidelines of that. Uh, that was real bad. Game. I was like, oh, uh, so glad I missed that. You know how I feel about JJ Watt for a five minute preview of the 49ers game because I don't want to talk about this. Yeah, let's talk about. Okay, so let's just do this really quickly. I'm gonna give the quick rundown. We need to win. They're the 49ers. Like that's it. Seattle's 10th in DVOA, 18th in offense, fourth in defense. Um, so. Kind of bad offense, really good defense. San Francisco's 28th in DVOA, 24th in offense, 28th in defense. They're pretty bad at offense. They're really bad at defense. That's what a bad team looks like. They are 23rd or worse against every type of pass catcher don't, available don't in their efficiency best, numbers. Their best players hurt. Their best players hurt. Uh, yeah, uh, hurt. Carlos Hyde went on uh, yeah. IR. Um, they are. They won last week, and they they had like three of their offensive players featured on the like worst graded players on Pro Football yep. Focus of the week. They are the number thirty two team against the deep pass in the NFL. Their defensive line is sixteenth in adjusted sack rate, and they're the thirtieth team in adjusted line yards. You can run on them, you can pass deep on them. Play action should happen all day. This should not be close because this team is pretty well coached. Yeah, they they don't play. They don't they don't do anything stupid. They just like of their ten best players, like something horrible happened or they retired to like seven of them, and it's like, well, the what do you even do? Like you can't rebuild a team on the fly like that. Yeah. Navarro Bowman happen. got injured. Eric Reed got injured. Carlos Hyde's been injured most of the season. Alden, Alden Smith uh, got uh, Alden Smith. Alden Smith. Alden Smith, Alden Smith himself, and now he's on Oakland. He's right out of the NFL, basically. Um, yeah, waiting to get. He's on Oakland's uh, suspended, suspended and enabled to return or yeah. something. What designated to return list? I mean, he's in that. He's in that same world that uh, that wide receiver Josh Gordon is. Uh, you know, like where he, yeah. maybe he can come back, but probably not. He's I mean, a he shouted bomb in a cr- airport. Like he's a step a, better than Justin Blackman. He's a, a high level moron. You know? Yeah, like, he's a special kind of idiot. That's true. Um, yeah, and we all we all know that every 49er quit, retired, or moved on. There's the problem with the 49ers. Those they they do one thing really well. They run, and, and they just lost. Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde just got hurt. I mean, I like their backup running backs. I think Dewan Harris has shown that he belongs on an NFL roster. We used to have him. And uh, And Sean And Sean Dron and Dwan Harris have been pretty decent. Sean Dron poaching a lot of those Carlos Hyde touchdowns. Sean Dron sounds like somebody from a Keen Peel skit. Sean Dron is my favorite 90s hip-hop guy. Colin Kaepernick Kaepernick has what it takes to be an effective NFL player again, but he is not in the correct situation. You really think he does, Nathan? Yes. I think he could be functional in a Chip Kelly offense. I'll even say that. There are things that he can do on a football field that are very unique to him. And that not a lot of other guys can do. Yeah. 
He can make throws on the run that no one else can make. Honestly, Eric, name one. Well, okay. Name, yeah, let's see if you could name one of San Francisco's top three wide receivers. Oh, goodness. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Cur- I think I, Curly? I, I can do it. First name? Jer, 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 Jer Curly, Jay Curly, Jer, Jeremy Curly, Jerome. Jerome. It's, it's Jeremy. Okay. Jeremy. Jeremy. Oh, no. Ah. The reason I know this is because I was like. Can you name a second? Oh. Uh, Pugnacious Quash. Right. It's Rod Streeter, who you may remember as like the fourth wide receiver on Oakland in, 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 in 1988. Kansas Smith City. Didn't they accept Tory Smith? Uh, Tory Smith injured. Okay. Cause I was gonna say he's really good. And, uh, Aaron Burbridge. What about Clint? Who Burbridge. is from Quentin. Michigan State, which is not Quentin exactly Patton? a prolific throwing offense. That's Quentin Patton. Wait, Quentin they, Patton is injured. Do they have oh, Reggie gosh. Bush? This team is. Reggie Bush. I feel so bad for Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush. I like, I like trying to think of like who are the who. Are, I thought they signed a couple. Of Bruce guys. Ellington is injured. The wide receiver they drafted out of South Carolina. Yeah, this team is a um, <laughs> So wait, if we're saying like if we and I think we've talked about this off the air before. Oh, Eric Armstead is on IR. Jimmy Ward oh, is on IR. Eric Armstead has a has a lot of natural talent, but uh, uh, wow, he's currently dead. Currently, he's not been able to put it together on an NFL football field yet. No, he's definitely. Uh, he he's physically Clay Campbell, Campbell, yeah. Yeah, could be the next because like Clay Campbell also got off to a rough career start. And he's production wise, not Clay Campbell. All of a sudden, he just started producing because his physical talents were just too great. So, how good is it going to be though to see one final time the Kaepernick 49ers versus the Russell Wilson Seattle Seahawks? It's just not the it's, Kaepernick 49ers anymore. It's, still, it's just. It's, not, it's, I got to be honest. It's, it's kind of cool. Chip it's not the real. I know, big deal. but I just want to see it one more time. They don't even have Crabtree anymore. <sighs> No, and Crabtree hates Kaepernick. Eric, uh, you like open casket funerals, don't you? A little bit sometimes. Because <laughs> that's what I want to say is. my goodbye before. This is an open casket before funeral. Hopefully, on the Colin 49ers. Kaepernick goes to the Browns and gives them six wins a year. Um, <laughs> Colin Kaepernick's going to be a Jet next year. Who are you kidding? Uh, that hey man, they poor might, Kaepernick. That would like not be a good situation seven. for him to step I into. I feel like the the, the surrounding. He could throw to Eric Decker and uh, Brandon yeah, Marshall and people uh, with big catch radiuses are a good Bilal, match for him. Him and Bilal Powell. I, mean, I think that could be pretty sweet, dude. The Bilal Powell show. I love Bilal Powell. That actually, you know, that's a better fit than I was giving it credit on first blush. He he has 458 rushing yards this year, and he didn't even start every game. Uh, I mean, I I don't know. I think Colin Kaepernick can still be good. I don't think it, he's he's not dead in the water like many people are kind of counting him out. In a league with down quarterback talent, mm-hmm. and in a league where RG three got a starting job twice, I don't think Kaepernick. Should be out he, of work twice this year. Provide val- he can provide value. I don't, I don't know how good he can be. I don't know what the upside is. But if you just go back and watch the tape of that San Francisco Green Bay playoff game, I mean, the t- he's he is unique and he is good. Well, he's, and he's good he's on not, special teams. I mean, taking a knees a play. There's no, <laughs> sorry, there's no debate. Russell Wilson <laughs> is way better. Like, I mean, we we've all moved on from that where people are saying Kaepernick <laughs> might be better than Russell Wilson. I don't think anyone on earth would say that anymore. That Harbaugh shine came off. But uh but Kaepernick Kaepernick has a shot. Just I I say don't don't count him out yet. Maybe maybe He's better than Blake Bortles. Oh my god, he's way he's way better than Brock Osweiler, Blake Bortles. Okay, I'll make a call for you. I would rather try to build a functional offense oh, around Colin damn. Kaepernick than Carson Wentz. I knew you were going to go there. You're wow. the worst. You Car- hate Carson Wentz. I do. Carson yep. Carson Wentz is my new Blake Bortles. Okay. Uh, let's B- go to picks. Bortles, rest in peace, man. <laughs> let's go to picks because uh, we we can't talk anymore about Kaepernick as much as I kind of want to. Uh, all this, I never start with picks. Oh, so I'm going to start. I'm right. going to start. Seahawks. 
No, you're gonna start. Thirty-five. San Francisco. This seven. just got sloppy. Thirty-five-seven. Wait, what, was I not supposed to do that? <laughs> no, Eric was gonna start. I was oh. like, I'm gonna start us off, and you're like, you want me to start? Got it. <laughs> I'm wearing headphones. It's hard. It's hard. Uh, Ready, set, go. Thirty-eight to ten Seahawks. Nice. Just add three to my scores. I'm changing my score now. 40, <laughs> Forty-two. No, no. I'm gonna go twenty-eight to zero. And Brett can have my score of the, my original score. Of no, I like how you picked no Stephen Hauschka kicks there. Thirty-two ten Seahawks. Oh, you want to talk Hauschka? I kind of never did. We never did. Uh, Thirty-two Haus- ten. Nice. Hauschka's missed five extra points this year. I feel extra like content in, for special teams. He's missed four. We're touching on all three phases here, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Four think, field goals. I do not think we should retain Stephen Hauschka after this year. He makes three point five million dollars. The, the number is right only going to go up. What's the price you would pay for him? One point eight. Is which that I don't think he would take. I think he would walk away for that. I don't know. I mean, I really think that his salary needs to be half of what it is this year because we need to put money towards other things. Michael uh, Line. Michael, Michael Bennett. Like the Michael Bennett contract. That's going to happen. We're paying Michael Bennett this offseason. It has to happen. That's the precedent we've set is that if you have one year left on your contract, we're ready to come to the negotiating table. Well, you know what? Michael Bennett has earned every single dollar. Yep. And at this point, like... Our options are to cut him and get the $9.5 million back or sign him to a $15 million a year deal minimum. So the... Expect be, three or four years at $15 million. Oscar's either going to be a cap casualty or... I mean, and the thing about kickers is, is it's fungible, man, and different ones get good at different times. Look at, like, Justin Tucker. Justin Tucker at the end of last year, like, there was some hype around him, but he wasn't, like, the best kicker ever. Now he's, like, kicking hype. Jesus. You know, he's 10 for 10 on field goals over 50 yards. Like everyone, and I mean, I'm into the hype because I mean, Justin Tucker's the best player on the Ravens. But how is he with his left foot? I know. That's just a, why would you line up for a left footed fake <laughs> field goal play? So stupid. Uh, um, oh, Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah, the other thing, people are going to start to balk at that because Hauschka's been, you know, first of all, he's a Hausch money. That's like a big thing. And he's you a know, pillar of this that. era's Seahawks. And I understand that. a big that. part of that. Uh, but when, before him, we had Alinda Mare. And Alinda Mare, despite being thrown under the bus by our ex-coach who shall not be named. Um, junior. <laughs> he, he's not a junior. Um, Alinda Mare was a good field goal kicker at the time he left our team. But he was going to make a lot of money that year. And that was money that could be put elsewhere. It would be the right move to walk away. And we replaced him with Steven Hauschka. And Hauschka was cut by five or six other teams before he got to us. Dude played in the UFL, by the way. Set a record in the UFL. But okay. you can find kickers on the street exactly. that can come in and play. And they'll play for $500,000. They're the relief pitchers and of football. Let me make this point, okay? How do you feel about Atiba Rubin? How do you guys feel about him? Great. Sure. He's really great, right? He only makes $3 million this year. Okay, if we cut Hauschka and we pay a rookie $500,000, we can get another Atiba Rubin. We can go get another veteran player who We can get a Ted Larson for, offensive for guard. We can $3 get a million dollars. We can go get we can go find some kind of $3 million offensive tackle recommendation. We can throw a Lottie like, ticket on uh, Luke like Jockel. Luke Jockel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the, there's there's so many options that we have with that money and I just think that at this point in his career uh, and the way he's kicked this year, to be honest, I mean, let's be honest, he's he's gotten like six kicks blocked this year. Well, and it's tough uh, because you have to you have to distance yourself emotionally from these players. We love this era, of the Seahawks. We love all of them. People out there, I love Jermaine Kirsch. You can't say that. Do you love the players or do you love the team though? At exactly. The the day, and do you the, love winning? The team will be here and the players won't be here forever. And I love I love these players, but at the end of the day, like if 
you know, if Michael Bennett holds out for like 18 to 20 million dollars next year and then ends up in a 49ers uniform, Michael Bennett is not, I'm not going to care about him anymore. I'm going to actively dislike him. You know, I don't think he'll do that because Moses bred Black Santa. That's my boy. I love him. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, if that does happen, that's a hypothetical, but I mean, I, I, he's now one of my least favorite NFL players, you know? Yeah. He's you know, a golden tape top shit on the way out of town. You know, uh, uh, Shaq Thompson, for all you UW fans, I bet you're not so happy about him anymore. Yeah, it's, I root for the logo. I don't root for the, the players. I love the players, and that's why my favorite thing is when they retire. Because you know what? Never have to have any regrets about the retired players jersey. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's real easy to, to rock like a Joey Galloway 84 or a Rick Meyer 3. No. <laughs> <laughs> Those early 90s Seahawks, terrible Seahawks references. Uh, speaking of which, I was but actually... Sean Springs 24 is not bad. I was really shocked I did not get a Kenny Easley jersey for Christmas. Oh, I yeah? thought for sure that's what I was getting, and I didn't. Try Shout to, out to everyone on your Christmas re- list. Return, right. that, return the Xbox one. Get a Kenny Easley jersey. That's about the price, man. better purchase. Uh, all right, so um, really quick before we move on to movie night. What's this is our longest podcast ever, by the I way. I knew it. I knew it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Bevel. Thanks, offensive hey, line. By the way, by the way, Thanks, Jay, Jay April, thank you for signing the contract you signed. It is so affordable and I love you forever. Yeah, you uh you really built a house in our hearts. <laughs> you're the anti KJ Wright. Uh what um oh. ooh, that was that I'm was just bad. kidding, KJ Wright, you're awesome too. <laughs> where where were the Seahawks where are they gonna be seated? After after Three. Sunday's game. Third. We need the Falcons to lose to New Orleans at home. It's just not gonna happen. Like it it could happen. We're going to play to win because the games are at the same time. But I'm guessing at halftime, Atlanta is up by some obscene amount. It's like 35 to 6. We need a few things to happen because also we'd have to have Green Bay losing. No. Uh, no. We have type No, because we'll be 10-5 and 1, and they'll be 10 and 6. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, we don't need any. We need, we no, half we need nothing else. It's just New Orleans beats Atlanta, and we win. Those are the two things we need to happen. So then uh, who do we face in the first round? So if we if we are playing like that, we'll face the six Washington, seed, which would either be Washington or if Washington loses, Green Bay, uh, Green Bay, Detroit loser. Um, there's could one be, other could team. Could be uh, there's Detroit. One other team that can sneak in, right? Uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> not gonna happen. All right. Uh, let me look at the play. Let me look at the play. That's box. the other team. Uh, no, I thought there was one more team that. Had it's Green Bay, Detroit, Washington outside Washington, shot Tampa Bay, outside way outside like. Uh, like Spokane yep. to you Seattle. Are, you guys nailed it. I'm. Uh, I don't know why I thought that one. Other team because make Tampa it. Bay, they can make it. The dream's alive. Because you say Detroit, but you're not thinking of Detroit in your head. Living. Yeah, I'm serious. So that's what it is. Uh, so looks like right now. No, wait. Uh, a real NFL team. It couldn't be Detroit. Green Bay right. has 77 percent chance of making it. Detroit 63. Washington 59. Uh, we have a 20.5 percent shot at the two seed, a 39 percent shot at the three seed, and a 40 percent shot at the four seed. Yeah, um, that's a loss. Which uh, I don't. How do we get the four seed? If we lose, oh, we have to lose. Oh, we're not going to lose. All right, I'm not worried. About that <laughs> uh, okay, then the uh, yeah. So and then our chances of winning the Super Bowl right now are not good. Uh, let's see. Playoff scenario: Super Bowl wins. Seattle three point two percent. That's uh, not good. Puts us right below Oakland and right above Green Bay. I feel uh, confident that we're likely to win one game in the playoffs. I think at this point, projecting two playoff wins, 
I don't feel great about. If Earl was healthy, I'd feel totally different about this whole yes. thing. I'll yeah. be honest with you. That injury matters when it's like if Russell Wilson got hurt. Yes. To be He's honest, the Russell Wilson it defense. Be on that look what happened when he got hurt and look what happened when Earl got hurt. It's very similar. It's just yeah. on opposite sides of the ball. Right. So it's Russell Wilson. It's Russell Wilson not being able to play. It's this exact same thing. And I, I don't, I don't know. This is just, you know, bad stuff happens and this is not our year, but you know what? Once you get in, anything can happen. And yep. the t- there's still talent all over both And what sides have we said? Ball. And other teams are flawed. Every, team every has, single team has a flaw. Every team has warts. I would say New England has shored up their warts the most. Except they, they're outgrown. But the AFC has the, it's harder to go through the AFC, I think. They, the, the talent goes deeper in the AFC. I think AFC is more top heavy. Like there's like, there's like three teams that I think are really good in the AFC. New England, Pittsburgh, Kansas City. And then Oakland until Derek Carr died. Rest, rest in peace, dog. I, I feel so bad for him. That sucks. That's rough. That's a bad way to go. At out. least you know it's the beginning of their window and not the end of their window. Right. Their That's the only thing that makes you feel open. better. Yeah. And man, Crabtree was having such a good year. Like I, I really feel bad for Oakland. Yeah, he's right. not even mediocre anymore. Time for plugs, guys. We're one hour into the podcast. Let's do um, it. So we're going to plug our pa- Patreon. Uh, there's exclusive YouTube videos available to Patreon subscribers. Also, they're good. They're really, really good. I make them. They're me talking about plays, showing you the plays, uh, showing you drawings of plays. Giving you a look into his personal life, talking about his gym schedule. It's true. Uh, me getting frustrated with the play drawing program that I use. All kinds of fun stuff like that. There is uh, exclusive holiday podcast specials. And uh, we'll also be making one after the Super Bowl uh, postseason exclusive wrap. Uh, that wrap will be a little more fun. It's like in a awardsy kind it's of rap thing. with a w not with a just an r yeah anyway it's that it's more of an awardsy type podcast as opposed to the postseason rapper we'll just kind of talk about a, re- a retrospectively about the season that one's for everyone uh you know all kinds of cool stuff like that goes on on patreon uh you also can get stickers t-shirts uh you can appear on the podcast that's a pretty cool reward uh, and you don't have to show up in person we'll, we'll skype you in this is true i mean if you want to if you want to show up in person uh, i mean I'll have your address so you can have mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, fair, fair. Other, let's call it even on that one. So, uh, yeah, that kind of that's what's going down on Patreon. Thank you for the to the six people who support us: uh, Michelle, Kevin, Brian, Josh, uh, Augustine, and Kimberly. I got that. I nailed that. That was awesome. I did that off the top of my head. That's how important you guys are to me. So, <laughs> so uh, thank you to all for your support. And, uh, yeah. And thank you to those people who are jamming the like button on Twitter. You guys are almost as good. You know, the people that are sending us tweets, the people that are following us, we are like 20 away from 2,000 followers. So tell 20 people each about the podcast. Really? Because yeah. we figure only that one of them will do it. We can't, make, we can't not make it. <laughs> yeah. So, Grow this community. It's yours too. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to post more funny stuff on during the week and just cool stuff. So, yeah, it's, I'm trying to be a better follow on Twitter, basically. Yeah, and I will be more active on game day again. We have I've had some family things with the holidays, as you understand, but I'll be back with my game day uh, tweets starting this week. Uh, and that's it. Uh, thanks for Thank you for support. And now we're going to talk about a movie. And since I thought there was two ways we could do this, we could go with a movie we could talk about only a little bit and try to keep it short, or we could go with a movie we're going to talk about a lot and make it the longest podcast ever. Which do you think I picked? Let's just oh, go for it. The shorter one. I yeah, think you no, picked to go for nope. it. I picked the long one. Uh-oh, here we go. The movie that I have chosen for us to talk about is the gold standard of 2010's gun action. That is John Wick. Okay, Here we go. Very here timely go. with the sequel so coming John, up. John Wick's the sequel's coming up, so I figured people might want to 
They might have saw that ad and they might have went, John Wick 2. I heard about John Wick 1. Why should I see this movie? And I'll tell you. On Why a scale of 1 you? to 10, how much do you like getting people, seeing people get shot in the head? <laughs> this is all that we've learned about making a modern action movie in the post-die-hard, hard-boiled era. But with the plot line of a 70s revenge movie. Yeah, it's yes. Like, it's it's very, like if someone remade Death Wish. It's got a very noir feel to it, doesn't it? Like where The lighting in this is perfect throughout yeah. the whole movie. I'll say this. It's like super violent uh, payback with uh, Mel Gibson. Ooh, payback. Um, the thing about this this movie that I think makes it work so well, and hold your laughter for those of you who have not seen it, it works so well because it stars Keanu Reeves. Now, you may be saying, like, Eric, you know, Keanu Reeves, he just sounds like a dope. He's the one from The Matrix, but he still sounds like a dope. It is my opinion that, yeah, Keanu Reeves has a very unique voice. It makes him sound like a surfer dude no matter what. But I think every every script he's ever had written for him or that he's taken has never used his, his voice inflection the way it should be used. And John Wick pulls it off perfectly. He doesn't sound like a dope. It's a Keanu unlike anything you've ever seen. Keanu Reeves is the man in this movie. You know what the the movie reminds me of? Like, you know that John Woo movie, The Killer. Yes, it's just like that, man. Where it's like there, there's a guy, and he's like on his last job. Or and in the case of John Wick, he's he's done. He's yeah. out. And every you know, time I get out, they drag and just, me like, back something in. Something happens where they just they just have to come back, and they just have to to do something. They don't have any choice, you know. Like in in John Wick, you know, it's just. He doesn't have any choice. They came to his house. They messed some stuff up. I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen it yet. They messed some stuff up. It's a it's a really now, bad happenstance. And now he's got it's just it's just what has to happen. Yeah. There's no choice in the matter. He's obsessed, and that's why it reminds me of the killer because he's obsessed with like the the you know the obsession of you know finding the the thing that happens. It's almost like he's happen. trying to find balance in the universe. Like his world's been thrown out of equilibrium, and he has to address it. It cannot be helped. Yeah, this movie goes for all the feels within the first 10 minutes. And then it backs it up with all of these, like, it's the it's dark got, humor in this movie is exceptional. Well, it's got all the beats of, like, the re- revengiest of revenge movies, you know, like, where, like, you, you want to, you, you, they build up this, this, uh, this character and you just want to see him just like, you just like, man, I hate this guy. Like, You're looking forward to him I dying. Really, you look forward to the demise of the character. And, and then I do like the idea, like, that they're just, it's just the fate, you know, like, there's just nothing you can do. And John Wick is the hand of fate, you know what I mean? Like, that you just can't stop him. He's just an unstoppable force. And also, Kevin Nash has a great cameo. Oh, man. That, that <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, Let's, let me, let's talk about some of my favorite scenes in the movie. There's one Because this is a movie of great scenes. Yeah, there's a bunch of scenes. Because what it is is they don't tell you a lot about John Wick. They they give you just little pieces at a time. Like these little tastes of what... How the great, man you get to kill the boogeyman. How, how, great, how great John Wick is. How unstoppable he is. And there's one part where John Lake Wazamo, he owns this car shop. And they... The, the guy, one of the characters that did something to John Wick comes into the card shop, and uh, John Lee was almost like, "Where'd you get that car?" And he slaps him on the face, and it's it's like the mob boss's son. And so the mob boss calls him, and he goes, "I heard you struck my son." And he goes, "Why did you do that?" And the guy goes, "He stole John Wick's car." And the mob boss just goes, yes. "Oh." <laughs> and <then hangs> over <laughs> the phone. Like, oh, that's a perfectly good reason to slap my son. <laughs> 
Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's so good. It's just like so fantastic. And Nathan's favorite scene in the movie, the best scene in the movie, the uh, aforementioned mob boss calls John Wick, pleading yes. pleading the case for his son. Yeah, he's like, please, sorry. John, you don't have to do this. I'm so sorry. Let us act like gentlemen. The entire time, Keanu Reeves is dead silent on the phone, looking at the phone like it is an object he does not understand. And, yeah. then, and then he gets off the phone, and the, the guy from those commercials, the insurance... The guy from the state... For, or uh, Allstate, state... Yeah, for, all the, um, the, the, mayhem, the, the guy yeah. who plays Mayhem... Is plays the uh, mob boss's lawyer in the movie, and he goes, "So what did he say?" And the and the mob boss lo- looks at him and goes, "Enough." <laughs> <laughs> so good, it's so good. <laughs> oh man, and it, there's just so many little things like that, and they, they they have this world building that they do with like there's this underworld currency of gold coins, and there's. Uh, there's like uh, there's, there's a, there's a cleanup hotel, company. And there's like a cleanup crew you call and you say you have a dinner party and all this little stuff. There's all these little things. It's all the things that make the movie. So cool. It fleshes out the world though, and it's it's right. more than this than this yeah. just ass kicking movie. They like, tried to really fill the world with color. It feels like someone converted a comic book where they just expect you to know the lore and they just like put the lore in and it's just all happening. Yeah, yes. it's this very cohesive experience. You get to keep like. They keep giving you more information, little information about the world, you know, just little things. And it's so cool. Like, they just keep bringing you in. Willem Dafoe is awesome in this movie. Yes. As like a, uh, as like an, a fellow, you know, semi-retired assassin guy, which I kind of like. Um, there's like a, he's some great classic cars uh, in this Adrian movie. Palicki is in the movie as like a, like a, also an assassin. And uh, I would have thought like that would turn out horribly, but it was because uh, you know I just know her from Friday Night Lights, and that, no, she was incredible. Also, yes, as she, the, uh, she female, can uh, carry herself in a in a gunfight for as sure. the female assassin who like uh, does, she has no morals. She does not follow the uh, the underworld code that they kind of establish in the movie. Action wise, this is what Smoke and Aces wanted to be, and all of those movies, in my opinion. I immediately think of another movie that better be on the list of movies that Nathan's going to bring up eventually, and that's Desperado with Antonio Banderas uh, and Salma Hayek. This this movie does the pull action from like, of this movie feels a lot like that. Where this it's movie does feel both like, hectic and well coordinated. Yeah, it it pulls from those old like spaghetti like western ish style movies. Like the Desperado was obviously inspired by like uh you know like Point Blank and the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and stuff like that. Like where like the action is like and it's brutal. It's yeah. quick and it's brutal. Like it's not like they don't drag it out. It just happens and it's fast and it's yeah. hard and it's good. It's like, ooh, it, that was a shot. It, ooh, that was a shot. Yeah, and it's just like and the thing at this this movie, like uh, For something unrealistic, it's realistically done. Like it is absolutely brutal. And I will say this, this movie toes the line. Like it could easily have fallen into being like too cheesy, too corny, and it's like right on that edge. And so I'm sure that some people didn't like it. You know, uh, the, a, a perfect example of that is when the cops show up at his house. Yes. Because I'm like, this is kind of weird, but I like it. You know, John Wick, friend of the police. Yeah. Yeah. A, I have the cop just goes, you working again, John? And he goes, not really. really? <laughs> or like we said something like, <laughs> yes. like, like just doing one, yeah. just got to uh, take care of this one. Well, like thing. how he goes, he goes, we had another noise complaint. You working again? Yeah, it's uh, like like just and it, just like he's not you know he's not actually gonna arrest him at any <laughs> point you know he just he's just checking in he's doing doing his due diligence or whatever for the neighbors. Yeah, it's just it's really well put together. 
the uh, movie the whole movie is just well put together yeah I mean, it seems like a nice vehicle for keanu reeves to to finally ride on after the matrix you and know? you will know within the first 15 minutes if this movie's for you right there. because the parts that are kind of cheesy but in my mind make the movie work well by the way uh it should be noted john wick terrible dog owner <laughs> that just, yeah, needs, that yeah, just needs to be known cereal it's like what are you doing dude <laughs> Doesn't, he's doesn't just, a really, him just a really bad he's dog like, owner. He's like, I'll get you kibble later, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, it's, uh, it's, I think Eric hit it on the head because the Keanu Reevesness is the parts where you're like, all right, he is kind of awkward, like, but he was like this stone cold killer, so he should be socially kind of weird. Yeah, and I, I guess every movie with Keanu Reeves, I see, oh, it's Keanu Reeves as this character. In this movie, I saw John Wick. And I know it's Keanu Reeves, but it, I, just, I saw John Wick. I believed it was John Wick. I did not believe it was... <laughs> this is not a knock on Keanu Reeves. This is not a knock on on John Wick at all. Not since Bill and Ted has a role been written so perfectly for Keanu Reeves. You know, and it's totally different movie. I probably got to catch a bad time for this, but I also thought in Speed... Speed. I did not feel like it. I did not feel like it was. Speed uh, is such a caricature. That whole movie, though, it is. But th- think about it. So is John Wick, and so is Bill and Ted. I guess, yeah. He is an extreme personality, and so his best roles are playing an extreme personality. This is a good yeah. point, Kevin. And I think Keanu Reeves is like legitimate. He just seems like such a legitimately cool and good person that I want him to succeed. Yes, like I want him to you be successful. There's a lot of really cool actors in uh in John Wick too. Can I talk about that for a second? Yeah, yes. go for it. Okay, so Common is in the movie. Always oh, got Common in the, that movie. Uh, I love Common in these kind of movies. Lawrence Fishburne, is Larry in Fishburne, it? naturally. Okay, we got John Leguizamo and Ian Shane back for round two. Good with that. Okay, we've got Peter Stormare, who which, who I love as the he's like in Prison Break and a bunch of other stuff. He's really great. Franco Nero, the original Django. <laughs> which is like yes. awesome. Franco Nero is awesome, and Peter Serafinowicz, who plays, I would say the role that you guys are going to remember him for is Pete in Shaun of the Dead. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so there's a couple really cool actors in the movie, uh, and I'm really, I'm really kind of pumped about it. Uh, the plot looks a little more threadbare than the first one, so I'm, I worry about that. But that's not the worst thing. Uh, it just looks. This uh, might just be like slightly worse overall, but very still good actiony. Like uh, if they got the same people back for cinematography, that's going to be yeah, big. and like almost all the same people are involved. So it's I don't know. It could be great. You know, the thing I'm worried about is if it's going to be more. Is it going to be more? You know, like like a movie that has a sequel and the sequel is just as good, or is it going to be more like Taken and Taken Two? <laughs> mm, have you? No, I know you're not a trailer guy. You try and not watch trailers. I watched the trailer for John Wick Two, and it looks cool. It looks very cool. Yeah, it looks very cool. So. It's probably the second most exciting trailer for me behind uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer oh, that no. I actively avoided, and then they showed it before Rogue One. I, and I was like, "Oh, I, I'm good with this. Never mind." I I knew I was going to see Guardians too, so I'm just like, "I'm not going to watch the trailer because I don't want to see anything. I want to be completely surprised." And then I saw Rogue One, and it was on, and I looked at my wife, and my wife said, "Do you want me to?" She like put her started to put her hand over my eyes, and I was like, "No, that's not. That's not. <laughs> don't do that." Because <laughs> she knew I was trying to avoid it. Uh, yeah, she was like, I'll save you. And I was like, that's too late. I'll say this <laughs> about John Wick 2, though. And it's the same thing I'll say about Guardians 2. Neither of these movies have I seen because they haven't come out yet. But I was pleasantly surprised by Guardians of the Galaxy. And when they announced a sequel, I was like, of course, it raked in a ton of money. It's a sci-fi movie, comic books. But will it have the same heart 
as Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 had that same heart. I mean, they definitely... That was, the, that was the best thing about Guardians of the Galaxy. It had heart. The thing about the Guardians 2 trailer is they're really trying to play that up, that it's gonna, because with that, all that Baby Groot stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, Baby Groot. But I thought the way yeah, they finished it with the... Uh, I thought the way they finished it with the uh, panel interview on the talk show, that had as much heart as anything else. <laughs> uh, I, uh, That's humiliating! Yeah, now Drax, to me! Yeah. But John Wick 2, the too. trailer... Again, it shows you that it it seems to have the same. I don't know if it's heart. I think it was atmosphere. I, exactly, atmosphere exactly was given. the soul like, of John and, Wick oh, and One, like, and it feels like it kept the noir the like filming style. And feel. Yes, it's like the it's like the the soul of this movie. And John Wick has some heart, but really, it's about atmosphere. It's about hey, ass kicking. And you know what, Stahelski, the director, he already said he already said, hey. We're working on the third one already. Yes. So, so I, you know what? The second <laughs> for one better must, or worse, the second one must be good. If Summit was like, no, go ahead and start making the third one. Nice. There's just at least some level it. of promise there. Yeah. yeah there's a just the, on some level, this movie has was received very well. So I, I'm I'm optimistic that it's going to be good. It is my second most anticipated movie of next year. Guardians is actually third. Number one for me is of course the excellent trailer yeah. for Get Out. Uh, I'm a horror guy. I love horror, and that trailer for Get Out. When oh, I, I thought it was going for the new Fast and Furious. It just looks so good. Uh, I'm really excited for the new Fast and the Furious, but uh, you know, uh, without Paul Walker, I'm, I don't know. I'm worried that it might it might devolve even more into just insanity. Are you saying that? <laughs> what about the new Triple X? Because that looks amazing that, in its own way. That's below the the fate of the Furious. Because you, the first Triple okay. X was an extremely the enjoyable about, movie okay, the, for all the wrong reasons. The thing about fate of the Furious, and you know, obviously we're going to do a Fast and the Furious movie like two weeks before that movie comes out. Yeah. But uh, fate of the Furious, the thing about it is, is that why not just lean into it and make it F eight? <laughs> It's such a letdown. You know that that they thought about it. Or or they were just totally, no one saw it, and then at the premiere, they're going to be like, oh! No, there was a production meeting where someone was like, you know, should we put like F8 or F-A-T-E? And someone was like, oh, put F-A-T-E. And it's like, and I'm like, dude, you know who you are. Like, you missed the brand. The, like, the thing about the Fast and the Furious movies is, you know who you are. You have a movie in the series called Too Fast, Too Furious. Like, this, just, just <laughs> with lean, two twos. Like, just lean into it, man. It's, it's just, it got, kind of got on my nerves. <laughs> as, as well as should be. Yeah, John Wick, great movie. And, uh, good, good call, Nathan. Yeah. Right. Much like your projection, this, uh, this review devolved. Uh, but we're okay. okay. And I, I just want to make one, one more comment. Alfie Allen, as the, uh, like, the mob boss's son, who's messing everything up. That was so good. I love Alfie Allen. He's so great in Game of Thrones. He's so good in this movie. Uh, he's awesome. John Leguizamo as Aurelio, the chop shop owner. Yes. Awesome. Also a great cast. Uh, really big fan. So they do a lot of stuff like that where they uh, do this. And then uh, David Patrick Kelly's in the movie as like a, a cleaner, which is just kind of like a weird cameo. So I thought that was kind of cool too. <laughs> oh, and Keith Jardine's in this movie too. The Dean of Mean, uh, the professional, and Keith yes. Kevin Nash has a weird cameo in this movie. There's just lots of weird little things where they're like, who's someone interesting that we could, like, we could get in this movie in a weird spot? We need a really big bouncer. Let's get a professional wrestler who's seven feet tall. Yeah. Kevin Nash, though, that cameo, that, that cameo is so, amazing. It's so funny. I'm not going to ruin it at all. This, usually I will say every line that I like in a movie in a podcast. I'm thinking I'm going to leave that yeah, one. Yeah, we have not listener. spoiled this at all. It's pretty yeah. great. Let's, well, we spoiled a little bit of stuff, but we tried hard. Let's just say that. Uh, there's great. There's a lot of great stuff here to gnaw on, though. It's a good movie, and it's uh, one of my things here. I hate that movies are so long now. John Wick is like t- 
tight. Uh, it's like an hour and a half. There's no, there's but no there's wasted, no dead time. There's no wasted motion in this movie. They could have bloated it into a two hour movie, but they didn't. That would have killed it. They really did a great job. Smart. Yeah, the pacing was smart. The editing was well done. Yeah. All right, that's it. Take us home, Eric. Well, uh, what are we, Kevin plugs? Uh, gotta get at us on Twitter at Seahawks Nest. Um, we're on Facebook. We're the Seahawks Nest. You can look us up on Google. You just have to scroll down a little bit past a bar. You can find us on, uh, the best places to look us up. You want to get us on SoundCloud and you want to get us on, um, iTunes. We're also on Stitcher. We're also on some of the other things. But if you can give us reviews, give us likes, give us follows in those areas, that is how you'll grow our listening community. And that's how you make this thing really start taking off more. As as it is, as it is. For executive producer Brett Hancock and executive producer Carrie Santo, I am your host, Eric Ronovic. That's Nathan Santo. That's Kevin Garber. Let's wrap this season up in a good way. Go Hawks. Shrimp head. Shrimp head.